Welcome to Cold Email with Basha and Olive. Episode 16, Studio versus Personal Practice. Okay. Want me to intro? Yeah. Uh, welcome to Cold Email, where we talk about studio versus personal practice, because maintaining a work-life balance is hard. So hard. When you are at a job. So hard. <laughs> It's hard even when you're not at a job. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's hard. I feel like as a freelancer, it's like, oh, this is my life. Like, it's not work and you just do it all the time. Yeah. Whereas, like, a job is just like, oh, this is my job and I do it all the time. Yeah. And that, or like, you're expected to work outside. Yeah. Yeah. But also, when you're, like, working a job and freelancing, that's, like, the hardest. I mean, it's all hard. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Um, Yeah, so I currently work uh, as a full-time graphic designer and like motion graphics, what have you, at um, a real estate agency. And it's a lot of work. (laughs) I generally get to make things that I have come up with myself. Um, Often it is things that are like, we don't want your hand in this just make this design um you know edits get long sometimes it gets hard but at the end of the day it's a lot of like all this to say is it's a lot of creative effort that gets expended during that time and i don't always have that energy when i'm done with the day it takes up a lot of your brain space to make to be making other work so it's hard to like Yeah, find that time and that energy to make your own work when you've been making so much work for your job, even if it's not, like, your own stuff. Even if it's just, like, you know, make this social media post that is not, like, does not have your design hand in it. Totally. Uh, I'm gonna do a freelance gig reveal, but I'm on a contract right now at kind of a large studio, and I am so tired after work it's nice to have like stability and like people to talk to every day about work that's like pros but like really tiring but you know the the money is good with like a job i think that's like why people do it (laughs) yeah for money i don't know it it's hard to do what you want to at a job and it's easy to feel like you're just executing like someone's whatever they want it's like using your skills simply as skills for somebody else's vision which is a hard uh thing to separate those two things and it's not fun to separate those two things i think when you enjoy the skill and the creative thing along, you know, the creative aspect with it, and they're like, nope, we're going to do the creating and you do the making. It's, it's hard sometimes when you love those two things together. Yeah, I would say the cons of like a good, even if it's like the best job ever, you're not going to do like whatever you want. Yeah. So that's like the con of the job. The con of freelance where you can do whatever you want is that it might not always be like equally lucrative or stable yeah and doing both fries your brain as i've come to learn yeah i'm i'm a little fried 
I definitely have some bad habits I've developed as a freelancer, and sometimes this totally applies to jobs, actually. And granted, I have not been full-time in, like, a long time, so I have less of that perspective recently. Here's some bad things that I do that I'm trying to stop. Checking and answering emails at night. Working on the weekend and responding to things at weird hours. I guess that's weekend at night. I guess it's usually about timing. I, I mean, I know you do this too, but not having Slack on your phone and not having a Slack app on your computer. I just log into the website during work hours. And on the weekends, it's donezo. It's not there. Oh, yes. Anyways, those are all bad habits. And a lot of times they're perpetuated by our rich overlords a little. Like the robber barons. Yeah. And those attitudes really do trickle down. I was reading a very stupid New York Times article. I don't know if you read it. I sent it to you. Oh, I haven't read it yet. The one about... Okay, yeah, it's it's a hate read. Yes. Um, and it's like, millennials are demanding time off when they don't feel well, and it's making us lose a bit of money. And millennials are delegating tasks to people higher than them in the hierarchy. Oh, wait, sorry, no, I'm sorry. Gen Z is doing all hmm. of those things. And millennials are like, I love work, work is my personality, and I'm like confused and scared of these young people. The boomerfication of millennials. <laughs> The whatification? The boomerfication of <laughs> millennials. You ever heard? I am also um, too much on, well, not as much anymore, but TikTok. <laughs> I feel like TikTok, we're cuspers. Is that we, we're cusp. <laughs> yeah, it's a toss up. You know, some, some people our age, what, 24 now, like TikTok, some don't. I act like I'm 70. I do not use TikTok. I feel like I'm so because sometimes like I see like features and stuff on it like and I like don't like really know what to do with technology and I kind of just am like scrolling around trying to read everything but I can't like focus on I'm like is this how it feels to be like 80 and like trying to use like a computer I'm like uh I'm overwhelmed by the information yeah <laughs> yeah anyways um it's easy to like overwork I think, in both a job and freelance. A, a job because you're kind of being pushed by people who've made it their culture to do that. Like, it's normalized and it's okay. That was my point of bringing up the article. Um, because that's what, like, upper management wants. Yeah. And, you know, just in the United States as a capitalist country, you know. Oh, well, I'm the... saying it trickles down. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because then, like, people are, like, trying, they're like, oh, this is good. Like, as a freelancer, I'm going to work till, like, 10 p.m. Yeah, because, like, that makes me feel like I'm getting stuff done. Bad trap. Bad trap. The individuals enforce it. Yeah. The, the trap of feeling like you're productive. The trap of productification? <laughs> yes, the trap of productification. You are not just your productivity. You're actually a living creature and you need to rest and enjoy life. Also, I feel like in art school, there were people who stayed up all night for like days on end. They were like, I'm working so hard. And it's like you'd see them during the day just like goofing off. And it was like they liked doing that. They wanted to do it to make a point and kind of like show off even though it was totally unhealthy. 
Yeah, it's like, okay, but you're like not, like, and at times when they're, yeah, I'm like, why are you doing that yourself? How does that make you more productive when you goof off all day and then just work through the night? It's like that. It seems bad. Yeah, well, it's not about productive, you know, productivity. No, it's not. It's about seeming like, it's, yeah, it's about seeming like you do a whole lot. Yeah. And in fact, you do just about as much as everybody else, but in a less healthy way, probably. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta be alive in order to make work. <laughs> like, not to preach, but it's like, you have to take care of yourself. But that's also like, you know, against the preaching of art school. Preaching of art school goes, don't take care of yourself. Your work is more important than you. It's like, no, you are more important than your work. There is no such thing as a graphic design emergency. Okay, literally! <laughs> Which I read somewhere. I feel like you might have told me that. I read it somewhere, but there is no such thing as a graphic design emergency. And that goes for illustration, that goes for animation, that goes for photography, for video. There is no such thing. <laughs> yeah, the, the ad can come tomorrow. As an advertising emergency. That is not an emergency. Yeah. It can always wait till tomorrow. Like, it's a lot of it's just about making money and doing things. Like, people want it. Like, buy that on their arbitrary. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's not an emergency just because you want it. Like, <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. There's deadlines. But yeah, there's no such thing as a graphic design emergency. No, yeah, it's like, meet your deadlines, but, like, if somebody calls you at, like, 10 p.m., they're like, I need this right now! It's like, no, you want this right now. Well, then you could. I mean, just charge them, like, times four. Yeah, yeah, it's like, sometimes you do do it, you know, I think we're all, we, we've all done it, you know, to not to be like, I never do that, because it's like, I do it too, so you need the money sometimes, but make sure you charge them extra, you know? <laughs> it's true, people can really pressure you, but next day turnaround, you gotta double it. Yeah, yeah, make sure you're charging enough. Here's, um, here's my, like, small elaboration on all this point, um, you need to eat to live, and eating isn't just food, right? Like, you need to fuel your body, whether it be, yes, through food, eating, like, physically, but also through leisure activities, extracurricular activities, love, friendship, sleep, vitamins, and all the other good stuff. Yeah. You need all those things to live. You're not a robot that works no, and you're not a robot. does nothing else. Yeah. Because there's like a lot of things a robot can do that you can't do and vice versa. Robot can stay up all night. You can think. Yeah. You can think. You can have friends and you can eat food and you can sleep and you can enjoy what you do. Those are like so important. It's not like those are... Yeah, I think people treat those as, like, nice-to-haves and work as, like, a gotta, because money. But it's, like, they're to they're equal. Sorry. But it's, like, you do gotta have it, or else you will be sad. And that's not saying, like, oh, like, you have to have a million friends, or, like, you're a loser. It's like, no, you need to do things you like and take time for yourself. Yeah, you have to have your own balance, and everybody's is different. Here's a couple lessons we've learned from working some pretty good and also 
pretty bad jobs and gigs. Okay. In a studio or agency or actually any job or gig, you are entitled to legal protections and have ethical rights as an employee. True. True. Just true. Yeah, as a freelancer, that all applies too. Same thing as a job. But also, you're your own boss, so don't mistreat yourself. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Thank you. Like, you have to be a little more responsible for yourself, because... Yeah. Nobody's telling you, you know, or there's no schedule for you, so you have to make it for yourself. Yeah. And our third point, which is the one we kind of said before, again, you have to be alive in order to make work. Very simply. Alrighty. So, part B of this big old part A, um, we're going to talk about the rights of the worker in more of like a, a theater, excuse me, critical theoretical sense. Um, we're going to read a couple essays. Olive's good at reading stuff, so I'll intro them. <laughs> Olive will read them. I try. In this episode, we will also now out ourselves as cultural Marxists. <laughs> <laughs> If you couldn't have guessed already. Yeah. Okay. So here's a piece called Death of the Job by Anna North. It was published in Vox. Um, it's about the rights of the worker and how labor in the pandemic has become even more fraught. You want to take it away, Olive? Yeah. Once upon a time, there were good jobs. These jobs paid people enough money to live on, even though, or even enough to support a family. They provided health insurance so people could go to a doctor if they got sick. They even came with pensions so that once you'd work, worked for a certain number of years, you could actually stop working. You could rest, but there was a problem. These jobs weren't for everyone. They were mostly for white men and mostly in certain places like a factory or in an office. For everyone else, there were jobs that paid less with fewer benefits or no benefits at all. And over time, there were more and more bad jobs and fewer and fewer good jobs. And even the good jobs started getting less good. And everyone was very tired and there was not enough money. Sound familiar? <laughs> <laughs> Sound familiar? Wow, it's like we're living it. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> next part, the pandemic has made matters even worse. Millions of frontline workers risked their lives doing jobs that often offered them little more than poverty level wages in return. Even for those able to work in the relative safety of their homes, the pandemic often sapped whatever joy, camaraderie, or, fulfill or fulfillment jobs had once offered. 40% of workers in one 2020 survey, the majority of them working remotely, reported experiencing burnout during the pandemic. The problem was only compounded for parents and others who took on new caregiving responsibilities, with mothers especially dealing with high levels of exhaustion and depression. The story starts, to some degree, with a failure. Much of American labor law, as well as the social safety net, stems from union organizing and progressive action at the federal level in the 1930s, culminating in the New Deal. At that time, many unions were pushing for a national system of pensions not dependent on jobs, as well as national health care. They did win Social Security, but with many people left out, such as agricultural and domestic workers. It wasn't a full nationwide retirement system. And it came and when it came to universal health care, they lost entirely. So the unions said, okay, we can't get this on a national basis, which we think is the most equitable, rational, and cheapest. 
Um, Nelson Lichtenstein, a history professor at the University of California, Santa Barbara, said, We'll link it to the job. Thanks, all. That was labor in the pandemic. Um, I guess these are all labor in the pandemic. Haha, <laughs> yeah. I forgot. It's fine. <laughs> okay, this next article is called, As the Pandemic Recedes, Millions of Workers Are Saying I Quit by Andrea Sue, published in NPR. As pandemic life recedes in the U.S., people are leaving their jobs in search of more money, more flexibility, and more happiness. Many are rethinking what work means to them, how they are valued, and how to spend their time. It's leading to a dramatic increase in resignations. A record 4 million people quit their jobs in April alone, according to the Labor Department. The pandemic has given people all kinds of reasons to change directions. Some people, particularly those who work in low-wage jobs at restaurants, are leaving for better pay. Others may have worked in jobs that weren't a good fit, but were waiting out the pandemic before they quit. And some workers are leaving positions because they fear returning to an unsafe workplace. More than 740,000 people who quit in April worked in the leisure and hospitality industry, which includes jobs in hotels, bars, and restaurants, theme parks, and other entertainment venues. Um, last week, after 26 years in the food service, Jeremy quit his job as a general manager at a breakfast place in San Diego. Work had gotten too stressful, marked by scant staffing and constant battles with unmasked customers. He contracted COVID-19 and brought it home to his wife and father-in-law. When California went into lockdown for a second time in December, Jeremy was given the choice of working six days a week or taking a furlough. He took the furlough. It was an easy decision. In the months that followed, Jeremy's life changed. He was spending time doing fun things like setting up a playroom in his garage for his two young children and cooking dinner for his family. At age 42, he got a glimpse of what life could be like if he didn't have to put in 50 to 60 hours a week at the restaurant and miss Thanksgiving dinner and Christmas morning with his family. Quote, I want to see my one-year-old and my five-year-old's faces light up when they come out and see the tree and all the presents that I spent six hours at night assembling and putting up, end quote, says Jeremy. So instead of returning to work last week, Jeremy resigned, putting an end to his long restaurant career and to the unemployment checks that have been provided that have provided him a cushion to think about what he'll do next. With enough savings to last a month or two, he's sharpening his resume, working on his typing skills, and starting to interview for jobs in fields that are new to him. Retail, insurance, data entry. The one thing he's sure of, he wants to work a 40-hour week. Good for Jeremy! Good for Jeremy, oh my god. I'm gonna say congrats to Jeremy and his family, that's very sick. Yes, congrats to him, that's great. I'm glad he's getting to spend more time with his family and live his own life. And also, you know, it's... It, it kind of sounds like he's leaving, like, and he didn't really want to, and, like, his employer should not have made him work like that for those yeah. low wages. Anyways. 50 to 60 hours, Jesus. My humble yeah. opinion. Okay. Finally, we have The Great Resignation, Why Millions of People Are Quitting and How Employers Can Earn Them Back by Jeff Hayden, published by Inc. Maybe I should explain that The Great Resignation is that a lot of people are resigning because <laughs> um, of the pandemic, if that wasn't clear in the first article or this one. A local cafe recently put up a new sign, Help Wanted, it reads. Wages up to $20, earn up to $1,000 in bonuses. Within two miles of that cafe, I saw at least six other Help Wanted signs in the windows of restaurants and retailers. All mentioned the wage rate. Many promised bonuses, but clearly money appeals aren't working. 
Why doesn't money work? Because workers have options, generally speaking. If you want a job, you can find one, and you can probably find one that pays you a little bit more. Money matters, but only to a certain degree. Perks matter, but only to a certain degree. When pay and benefits are fair, not industry-leading, just appropriate and reasonable, how you treat people makes a huge difference. Treating people poorly is why people leave. Having options just makes it easier for them to leave. That's also why people choose to work for and stay with certain employers. Want to improve your odds of keeping your best employees and hiring potential superstars? <laughs> Get your pay and bonus systems in order and then think longer term. A study of more than 400,000 people published in Harvard Business Review found that when employees believe promotions are managed effectively, employee turnover rates are half that of other companies in the same industry. But wait, there's more. Productivity, innovation, and growth metrics outperform the competition for public companies. Stock returns are almost three times the market average. Yeah, this one's like, this article was very business focused and maybe like I didn't agree with all the the um thinking behind it, like being so pro, like. Yeah, this is something that would make my dad <laughs> be like, oh yeah, they should give bonuses. This makes sense from a business standpoint. I mean, I'm cool with it from a business standpoint. It's just like, Oh, all you have to do is, like, I don't know. Give people a reason to stay. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, maybe not saying it because it's ethical, I guess. Yeah, no. But we're saying if you're an employer, do that because it's ethical, not just because it's good for business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are two good reasons, but... Yeah. But do it because it's ethical. Yeah. People deserve to live. I'm also going to take a wild guess and say most people listening to this are not going to say, oh, yeah, those people are lazy. Yeah, no. <laughs> but I-, I think this just hammers home the point. Because pr- it's easy to, like, you know, with that rhetoric everywhere, it's easy to, like, start, like, maybe having that thought in the back of your mind or, like, kind of, like, if you're not a person who works in those jobs, it's kind of like that person is, like, othered in a way yeah but like yeah this is a good reminder that yeah like it it sucks not not cool on your employer's behalf no no not not fun no not cool or fun (laughs) something positive that i wanted to talk about really fast before we have our interview which is gonna be fun i wanted to talk about the freelancers union um a lot of you are freelancers, like me, and actually like you all, if you're technically fr- freelance. Yeah. I, yeah, I think I am actually signed up for the freelancers. Oh, me too. I got the little badge. Okay, so this is just like a company, I think like a lot of what they do is offer um, insurance. I don't think it's like the number one, like best insurance ever, but it's it's like totally an option. I think like more companies are going to come about that do things like this. And Alv and I have talked about this a lot. We think that both the tax code as well as, like, healthcare, hopefully soon will move towards a place that is um, beneficial to freelancers because that is going to become most of the jobs, it seems. Yeah, as that previous article said, fewer and fewer, quote, good jobs where you get insurance and, like, you know, a good wage through your job. It's like, okay, now you get everything outside your job, so hopefully that will 
lead to better things for freelancers if that is the route that everyone's job seems to be, or most jobs at least, seem to be going in. Totally. I'm going to read the Freelancers Union mission and their about. Their about is that they're promoting the interest of independent workers through advocacy, education, and services. Um, they offer insurance benefits like health, dental, term life, disability, liability, and vision. That's pretty great. Uh, they yeah. have a community, including our NYC Freelancers Hub and Spark, local freelance community meetups in 25 major cities, advocacy for policy change, such as the annual Freelancing in America survey, and the Freelance Isn't Free Law. That is sick, by the way. I have copied and pasted some of their text, I think, and sent it in an email for someone asking me to do some free work. That was just like a design test and unpaid. Mm. Um, and they have resources through legal and financial tools, including the number one blog for freelancers. It's true. I actually do read their um, resources sometimes. I just read an article about inflation. Pretty good. Raise your prices. Nice. Gotta remember. And finally, the end of their mission goes like this, and I really like it. We believe these basic human rights are essential to ensuring all freelancers can live in dignity and security. Affordable housing, healthcare for all, racial justice, parity of wages, P-A-R-I-T-Y, of wages, access, and rights for all workers, regardless of gender, orientation, ethnicity, or background. And you can donate to them. And it's just, like, worth checking yeah. out. Olive and I, again, are both, like, part of it. We have a uh, we are part of the freelancers union. I wish it was a little stronger and had a little yeah. more power, but I think it's, it's hard gaining, when you know it's yeah. the beginning. I think they're working on it. So now, the interview. But first, ads, 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 ads. Pay us five dollars so we can promote you. Please five dollars. <laughs> Thanks. Low low price. All right. Are you? Did you stop recording? We don't have an ad this week, but we also didn't really try to get one because we're both really busy <laughs> right now. It's okay. It happens. But if you love listening to this podcast and have $5 burning a hole in your pocket, maybe consider sponsoring cold email. You get a lot. It's a great value. It's $5. I don't even know what $5 get you these days. Inflation. But for $5, we'll mention your name on air during an episode or your business, website, product, etc. Included in this price is a small blurb, one paragraph or less. Usually we say more, but um, we'll say something nice about your work or you. Also, we'll kind of do anything that isn't embarrassing or demeaning to us. Here's some examples of things you can do by sponsoring us. You can advertise your Dirty Grunge Procreate brush set drive traffic to your sick new publishing project, solicit art and design submissions for your self-published magazine, promote your sweet upcoming gallery show in Bushwick, have many award-winning art directors hear your name in a blurb about your work, maybe find a studio mate in your area, say something nice about your friend as a fun, inexpensive, and unexpected birthday gift, and this one's not even really true anymore, uh, but you can buy me and all of two separate cups of coffee. It's like one cup of coffee now. Anyways, whatever. If you're interested in sponsoring us, which we would love and appreciate, and you would be a friend of the podcast if you do forever, um, you can go to cold-email.tumblr.com slash sponsor. 
We'll also be posting some more information about it on Instagram soon. But again, if you're interested in sponsoring us, the easiest way to do that is to go to cold-email.tumblr.com slash sponsor and check out the form there. Okay, thanks. Part 2, the interview with Jamia Law and Gia Gordon. Jamia Law and Gia Gordon are freelance illustrators and designers at Buck in Brooklyn, New York. Jamia's selected clients include The New York Times, Medium, NBC News, Equal Justice Initiative, and The Guardian. Gia's selected clients include Google, The New Yorker, The Atlantic, Penguin Random House Classics, Vice News, and Pixar. Special thanks to our listener, Jacob Myrick, for recommending we interview these two. Um, but thank you both so much for being with us. We're really happy to have you here. Two yeah, thanks for coming here. <laughs> yeah. Two Buck employees that also have really thriving freelance illustration careers. Oh, thanks. Yeah. We have like four guiding questions, I think. And the first question is about studio work and freelance. And... I wanted to ask if you can speak to the experience of having a job and also freelancing at the same time. We can both relate. We're guessing a lot of our listeners can relate and it can be hard to manage. So if you just want to walk us through how you do that, that would be great. Did you want to go first, Gia, or? No, please. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's actually, I can admit it was a bit difficult at first. So to give a little bit of a backdrop, I started working full-time at Buck in July of 2020. And because I started working with the LA office, I found it a bit of a challenge to manage, to manage deadlines with freelance. So there would be a lot of, a lot of long hours at night, um, a lot of burning the midnight oil. But I think over time, because of the because of the security of full-time work, I was able to be a bit more selective with freelance and really focus on the projects that that meant the most to me and those that really got me me jazzed up about making art. It was about finding a healthy balance between learning and growing at work and then learning and growing in freelance without without overworking or without burning out. And I also think it's a sliding scale. So one week, you know, I'm very calm about it. Next week, it might be super hectic, but just learning to to roll with the punches and to maybe not go from one extreme to the other, but to keep it pretty, pretty even keeled. So I think, I think that's been my experience um, thus far. I'm kind of in a similar boat. I Um, moved over to full-time at Buck, I think November of 2020. Um, So it's been a little bit over a year now and I'm only just, I I feel like I'm only just getting used to um, juggling things. It really is like a roller coaster. Um, But like Jamie all says, um, I feel like I've been able to be a little bit more selective about the projects that I get because I was definitely a yes woman um, before. Just, you know, that feeling of like never getting a job again and like um, just 
I don't know, being a people pleaser also, just wanting to say yes to jobs um, made my life a little bit difficult, but um, things have kind of calmed in that respect. Um, so yeah, it's been great. And uh, I also have a lot of support from like, people who have already been doing this for years, they've kind of given me tips and tricks of like how to um, maintain two basically full-time jobs. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how it's been going for me. Um, so do you guys have like a, like a favorite thing and a least favorite thing, like both about um, your full-time job and about freelancing? Yeah, um, sure. I think I'd love to start off with the favorite thing. Um, my favorite thing about freelancing is that I can be a bit more expressive and I can be, I can take more risks in that type of work, especially with pre-existing clients. Uh, I think that's been a really helpful part of my growth and development. And I really, I really look forward to that as a challenge when taking on freelance work and how I can push myself just to the next step. I think my favorite thing about working full-time is just being able to collaborate with so many just fantastic artists like Gia and just to create really, really awesome stuff. I think that's just been a, a huge, a huge plus, especially just virtually being able to look over someone's shoulder and to see what they're working on and to, to ask questions and to just to just chat, you know, the offline, to catch up and to connect with others because especially since the pandemic, it's been really hard. Connecting has been really hard. Um, making those relationships that, that help make life so much more enriching. So I think that's probably the, the, the biggest plus for full time. Um, and the fact that you have insurance and, <laughs> and more stable income, how could I forget that? But I think <laughs> sometimes the, I think the, the biggest con for me in freelance is the deadlines. I feel like sometimes they can be a, a bit restrictive, um, which is the nature of the beast. But I feel, I feel as if sometimes um, there's a bit of a rat race to to come up with the concept and to just get it to finish really, really quickly. And I, I really admire those who, who can consistently just crank out just A plus, just A plus work on a really, really consistent basis. I feel sometimes um, there can be an ebb and flow, um, but who can crunch out just really, really dope concepts and really beautiful work every single time. Um, and I think when it comes to the con of full-time, I think it would be knowing that there's a particular time of day every day that you're sitting at the desk. Um, just because, you know, all of us have families, all of us have, have other things that we like to do too. And with freelance, you have that flexibility to like, I wanna, I wanna go make a sandwich. I wanna go make two sandwiches of the day. 
uh, <laughs> as a stupid example, but just the flexibility. Um, like sometimes I would just go go play, go shoot some hoops in the middle of the day while freelancing. But now as a full timer, I might not be able to do that. So I have to I have to squeeze that really important um, just quality time with myself in another areas of the day. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, I think those are my pros and cons. I I'm really interested to hear what what Gia's are. <laughs> Thanks for passing the mic. <laughs> um, um, I think I think my favorite part about freelancing is um, kind of having the space to get a little bit weirder in my work. Um, I. I feel like I'm always, I mean, we all are like constantly growing uh, our skill set and like the type of work that we make. And I feel like I make really big leaps and bounds in that space when I'm doing freelance work or like personal work. Um, because luckily enough, um, you know, people come to me now looking for work that I'm like the type of work that I'm known for making. So I kind of have um, a lot of freedom to just, you know, do my thing, which is really lovely. And I feel very lucky about that. Um, and like, I've had to stop saying, I've had the ability to stop saying yes to really short, um, crazy deadlined projects, which was, it was making me so depressed, just miserable. <laughs> so I'm happy that that's not a thing anymore. Um, and yeah, just having time to do other things other than staring at a computer screen during my day. I, I love that about freelancing. Um, and then I guess a con is, um, I guess doing a, I'm approached for a lot of the same kinds of projects. Um, whereas I think at my gig at Buck, there's a, a huge variety of work, a lot of stuff that I don't, I've never even done before, um, which I guess brings me to my pro for working full time at Buck. Um, yeah, I've, I, in the short amount of time I've been there, I've done so many things that I had no clue about how to do. I've worked with um, people with like decades of more experience than me. Um, so it's been like a really great like learning environment and just like learning how to work with other people other than just an art director. Um, that kind of collaboration has been really nice. Um, and I feel like I've worked really well with like structured days. Um, when I was working freelance, I kind of, I don't know, I kind of meandered a lot just in my like daily life. So I feel like having the structure of like a, a nine to five or like a 10 to, has been like really good at like 
structuring my my day and my life. So I don't know if I have a con other than just like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think I have a con. I really like being full time. <laughs> That's totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, before we go on, I realize, can you both just clarify what your positions at Buck are? For sure, yeah, design. Designer. Cool. <laughs> Thank you. The next question is about how you felt a little starting out at the very beginning. Yeah, how'd you feel? What do you wish you would have known then that you know now? I guess, what would you tell yourself back then? Starting out like... In your creative career. Just or, the whole shebang. Yeah, or if you have something like more directed or you want to go maybe like more into a specific point of time, it's totally your call. But I guess just in your career, um, what's something you wish you would have known earlier? Mm, I think like fresh out of college, um, I was convinced that I was going to find a job right away in the create, And I still found one pretty early on, thankfully, like it was pretty dope, but um, it took a minute and I really beat myself up about that. Um, I, I thought that I was just doing something wrong or like, you know, um, not making the right types of work or my work wasn't good enough. Um, so I got really discouraged. I think if, if I were to like talk to my younger self, I would just say that like, it just, sometimes it just takes a little bit of time, you know? Um, and it's totally fine to just have a regular job, you know? Um, there's absolutely nothing wrong with um, making a living any way you need to. Wow, that really, that really hit home. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, I think I would, I would say something along the same lines, to be honest, because I remember applying to, to Foot Locker. And at first I felt really just lost. Um, I thought, you know, freelance would be the way, would be the, the single way right after college, but it did take some time, like you said. Um, I think I would tell my younger self that that I, if you want to, if you want to run the marathon, and if you want to, if this is something you want to do, at least for the foreseeable future, that that you would always, that you will always be growing. Um, I had a I had a misconception that. I would get all of the tools that I needed for a successful career in four years of undergrad. And I realized when I graduated with a pretty crappy portfolio um, that that probably wasn't going to be my path. So uh, like you said, thankfully, after a while, I was fortunate enough to get some work. Um, but yeah, I just tell myself to just pace myself and that growth takes time and you'll always be growing. That was so nice. Those were both so nice and I think really good reminders. I think a lot of people who listen to this are, um, oh wait one sec, sorry. 
I think it's a really good reminder. I think I feel that way a lot. And I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast also feel that way, feel that same like creative anxiety and it can be really hard to get past. So I think reminders like that always help. So thank you for those um, super helpful responses. Yeah. Um, So also just to clarify, you both have artist reps, right? I have a book rep. Okay, cool. Yes. Yeah, like, we looked on your websites and it, you, you both had reps, but we wanted to make sure because the last question is about um, artist representatives. Didn't yeah. want to ask if you uh, didn't. So um, does like having an artist representative make your life easier? Like, does it allow you to like manage clients without spending, like having to spend as much time finding clients? Um, does it like help free up your workflow, et cetera? I think. Um, in the case of having a book rep, that has, that's definitely been the case, um, just because they're the ones pursuing the clients, they're the ones pursuing the publishers, or whoever you'll be working with. Um, so that's been really helpful. It's been, it's been a nice aid in just focusing on the art making portion of it, um, which can be and it is difficult enough, um, especially at times when time is a little tight. But I've also heard stories of people who have artist reps in which after finding them, they realize that a lot of the legwork they really wanted to do themselves and they could take on themselves and, and get the entire, the entire pie. So I think, I think really weighing out Uh, the pros and cons and really seeing um, if you just wanted to focus on the the art making would that be a better would that be a better route for you or if you feel like you want to just have complete control over who you're reaching out to um, how much work you're taking on at the time um, and how you're and how you're marketing yourself then then the agent I think could be be a great a great route Yeah, um, I totally agree. I feel like having a book rep has been incredibly helpful, not just like on the business end, but also my rep is great and really sweet and also gives a really good pep talk. Like when I'm feeling, uh, I don't know, imposter syndrome or like just something's not clicking for me. So um, it feels great and feels kind of necessary for me to have like um, somebody like on my team in that way. Um, and I, I feel like early on, I learned something about myself, which was, I'm not good at, at like admin things. Um, I think you guys could probably tell um, with the email thread that we had. <laughs> Um, it's really tough for me. Um, and I really didn't want my, my work to suffer because of that. So, um, I think delegating is like a really, um, important thing to consider if, if, if somebody's feeling like overwhelmed in that way. Um, yeah, so it's been super helpful. Cool. 
Um, I'm gonna squeeze one more in because we do have a little extra time. Um, going off script here, so this might be a little rough. Um, but recently I've been asking people about something that Olive and I have privately called the spiral, um, which is like, you, you know, you're feeling on top of the world, you've kind of built yourself up, like your confidence has grown, like you're getting job or like whatever, you're, you're feeling um, satisfied with where you are and successful and then like, boom, the spiral and you're like, I suck at this. Um, I've always sucked at this, like everyone hates me. Do you ever feel that? Um, and if you have felt that, what's, do you have any techniques of getting out of the spiral? I definitely have been there. I'm there right now. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, that happened to me when I'm feeling burnt out. I've like noticed a really, like a direct correlation between the two. Um, and I, when I realize that that's happening, I have to make like a very deliberate step back from the workload or like, um, I don't know, even just consuming other people's work. Just like taking a step back from like doing anything um, is how I usually like combat that. Um, and then resting, which I can't, like, I cannot stress enough. So important. Um, and then coming back and then like getting excited about work again. And then just, there's something about like taking time off to just like not do anything, um, anything creative, and then coming back and then like rekindling that love for just like images um, that makes me, that reminds me that like, oh, I also do this thing that I'm admiring that other people do. And, you know, it's like a slippery slope. Yeah, I can definitely, I can definitely, definitely agree with that, especially when, when Gia mentioned uh, the note about resting like that's something i think that i am just now getting a hang of uh a couple of years into freelancing just because uh i always thought and i know it was a misconception that the the amount of the amount of time that you spend on something equals the quality of the product but i think that is sort of switched in my head to the quality of time you spend on something than the quality of the, the product. So I think going back to the spiral, um, I can say that I'm currently in a phase like that now where whether it's something that I'm doing at Buck or whether it's something I'm, um, a book that I'm working on for myself, I, I can feel, I guess, some deficiencies. I can notice some deficiencies in my work. And I think a bad habit that I have is instead of just focusing on the deficiencies and making them better, I tend to, to direct negativity towards myself as a person and as the quality of person that I am, like the quality of artist that I am holistically. Um, but 
a way in which I, I combat that now is really just, I write a lot. So I will, I'll write a little list of, okay, like what's the real problem here? Am I a bad person? No. Am I a bad artist? No. Can I work on this? Yeah, I can. Does this need some work? Yes. I think that helps me to really, to really just focus on the issue and to sort of handcuff, handcuff those negative thoughts, at least temporarily. Um, until they <laughs> until they have enough energy to break those chains that I have to to repeat the rich, but I think I think that's been really helpful in just taking time to just disconnect from everything and to consume consume media that I enjoy, whether it be old cartoons from the past or I'll sit down and watch a game or two to really just dial into to my interests and what I like. And then eventually it'll go to artwork and what I like about art. And then I think that snaps me back. Um, yeah, I think, and still working on this, still working on this process. So it's a bit rough at the moment, but I think, I think that's what it is um, circa 2021. Those were such good answers, first of all. And second of all, when you were both responding, I couldn't help but think about um, rituals. I think someone said it even. And maybe it's like, maybe it's just like a bad ritual we all have to do, the spiral. I'm still thinking through that one. I think that's all we have. Olive, do you have anything just like in general you'd like to ask? Uh, oh, I'm good, but if you guys have any <laughs> parting words, any final things you want to say? Thanks so much for, for having us on. Really appreciate it. Oh no, it's our pleasure. You're both yeah, thank you so guys well for spoken and smart. This has been so pleasant after a long day. It's been nice. So thank you both really for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's been fun. Cold email is a very professional podcast about being early career creatives and all the trials, tribulations and good times that come with it. Recorded, written, and performed by Basha Kurlander and Olive Lagaze. Edited by Basha Kurlander. Follow us on Instagram at cold period email and check out our website, cold-email.tumble.com. Email us at coldemail1000 at gmail.com with any questions you want us to answer on the show, suggestions for future themes, or to inquire about guests starring in an episode. Music by Basha Kurlander aka Marbley. As always, thanks for listening. Before I start, I gotta send these to my parents. Such as the annual freelancing, excuse me, freelancing in America serve, freelancing the Sawiti meal. Yeah. I don't like spooky. that. <laughs> you know Justin Timberlake when he's like in that one song. And he never comes home. What you did to me is it the way it goes. Not. He's like, yup, yup. Uh, and now you want sorry uh what goes around comes back around that's the one i don't know if i know that one oh listen to it he's yeah. just like yup 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 <laughs> in the background <laughs>
for a little while. For a long while. 